Father God, we thank you for everything. Amen. Your grace, your your mercy, your power, your patience, and your love. Father, please forgive us of our repented sins. Help us to be the kinds of Christians that you have called us to be. Father, anyone that is here at this time that has not put your son's name on in baptism, allow your spirit to have have its way with them. Help your Holy Spirit to guide them into all understanding. Father, you know who's here that's hurting, who's sad, who's depressed, who's in the midst of a storm, who's in the midst of waiting for answer by way of revelation. Father, we call upon you to work with each and every heart and mind that is here and each family that is represented here. Hide me behind the cross and just use me as your messenger, proclaiming the words that you want proclaimed. That when it's all said and done, it will be pleasing and acceptable unto thy sight. Father, we ask this in the great name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Again, it is good to see everyone and to be here uh, in the house house of God yet again. God did not have to grant us this privileged opportunity of being in his presence as well as the presence of each other. Uh, I'm not as okay as some in terms of that 49er loss. I'm still struggling. And then my son lost a playoff basketball game last night. And the other team did not abide by the rules. So I'm trying to work that out in my spirit. But I guess we can say to Brother Naman, congratulations on ring number three. I almost, I almost bought Naman a beanie hat, too, last week. I had walked into the, the store by my house, and I was trying to get something, and I saw hanging up, they had all of these beanie hats. This is in San Leandro. They had all of these beanie hats, no 49er hats, no Warriors hats, but KC hats. So I walked up to the store clerk, who clearly was not into athletics and all of that, right? So I'm like, how do you have a Kansas City beanie? You don't have 49ers. You don't have Giants. You don't have eight. Like, you don't, you have. And so he's like, hmm, somebody else said the same thing. Like, this dude's so checked out. He don't know. He don't know what's going on. All right. So we, we are, we are uh, at the conclusion of this of this lesson series, and I really do appreciate, 
I appreciate your your patience, your engagement. I I didn't realize that we started this series uh, on Sunday, November or September the 10th. <laughs> I didn't realize we had been, I thought we was doing like two months, three months. So I, I appreciate your, your engagement for sticking in for, for, for five months, perhaps almost a little bit longer than that. Thank you for that. Uh, the study has been rewarding and enriching for me. I hope, I hope it has touched your life uh, in, in some kind of, of way, uh, and I, I do appreciate that. So we started off just looking at Genesis chapters 1 and 2, looking at the divine creation and the reflexive image of God. That's how we started off, looking at, at God's magnificent creation uh, in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, we switched up, it's uh, still the same series, but we switched up the, the, the title uh, to Eyes Wide Shut, uh, the, the trajectory of the flesh and redemption through Christ. So we will primarily focus a bit more today as we close out, we'll focus a bit more on the, the trajectory of the flesh, but also uh, primarily looking at redemption through Christ. Because everything within the biblical text ends up at the redemption of Christ. We'll, we'll start today in a non-traditional way because we're going to create a runway into this message, before we go back to uh, Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start in Titus. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, beginning at verse 3, as we make a runway back into uh, Genesis chapter 3. And we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 3 primarily around verse 20 and then going all the way through the end, which I believe is verse 24. But we need to be able to set that up with the redemptive essence of Jesus Christ. And probably the last thing that I will be mentioned, that I will mention are uh, some of the words uh, that Christ shares or words that are shared about Jesus in John chapter 10, as well as John chapter 14. So when you hear me say John 10, John 14, uh, you know we are, we are at the end and wrapping up, and it is the Savior's invitation. Titus, Titus 3, beginning at verse 3, and we know that here this is really a, a private letter. This is, this is the Apostle Paul writing to uh, another one of his young protégés in the gospel uh, by way of, of Titus, another, another evangelist, another man of God, but under the, under the tutelage, under the mentorship, under the guidance of the Apostle Paul. So this is, 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 is one of those uh, epistles. This is one of those uh, letters that is perhaps also referred to as the pastoral Epistles. This is a shepherding kind of epistle where 
the Apostle Paul is having a private moment with Titus because he knows that Titus is also uh, responsible for setting up various congregations. He's responsible for setting up various churches. And Paul wants him to make sure that he has insight into what his responsibility is so that he can make sure that the churches are organized appropriately and that the churches and the members therein are equipped appropriately. But these are not messages perhaps where Paul had the fullness of of the church in mind. He has the evangelist in mind. He's giving the evangelist information that he needs uh, so that he can be the appropriate type of evangelist. He can be the appropriate type of man of God so that he could work with the people of God in the most efficient of ways. We now have the insight of being able to look in at this private letter from Paul to Titus. We get to look at it and we sometimes just look at it as every other epistle as if Paul was uh, writing to the church at Corinth or writing to the church uh, at Ephesus or writing to the church at Philippi. But no, here he is writing to an individual. He is writing to an individual preacher so that this preacher knows how to uh, govern himself and how to carry himself in this great work of carrying out the mission of God. He starts off really in chapter 1 or verse 1, I should say. I wasn't going to read this, but we'll just add this in as well. We're picking up at verse 3, but we will just share some of this background from a, from a verse 1 perspective. So Paul tells Titus, Remind them, remind the the saints, remind the people of God to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Now they're under Roman Empire rule. So Paul is saying to the church, he's saying to, to Titus who is uh, 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 the evangelist that, that's establishing all of these different churches and he's organizing all of these different churches, but he says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. He says, we're already under Roman Empire rulership. And it's not our job as members of the body of Christ to go out and cause trouble. It's not our job to go out and cause chaos. It's not our job to be out there overly criticizing those who operate under governmental rulership. He says, remind the church to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient to be ready to be ready for every good work and to speak evil of no one he says church members should be out there should not be out there speaking evil of anyone he has in mind a governmental perspective and paradigm he's not saying they can't speak truth to power don't get that twisted. He can't, he's not saying they cannot be people that are out for justice. That is a biblical mandate. 
That, that is a biblical command, but he is saying that they are not to be out there speaking in such a way that is beyond what it means to exude the character of Christ. He says they should be ready for every good work, uh, to, to speak evil of no one. He says also that, that the people in the church, the, these people that you will be responsible for, uh, uh, and, and, and even the elders that you will be responsible for, for equipping and, and ordaining, he's saying to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. This is just one episode where, where the Apostle Paul is equipping uh, his, his, his young evangelist or, or his evangelist in the gospel. He picks up at verse 3. <laughs> he says, don't get this thing twisted. You might be the rebel rouser out there. He's telling them, all of this information that he just shared in, in Titus verse 3, verses 1 and 2, he's sharing all of this because this kind of character and this kind of behavior was reflective of these people of God. That they were the ones out there highly criticizing government, not speaking truth to power, but doing it in an ungodly way doing it in a way that was filled with hypocrisy or doing it in a way that simply was not helpful, that, that your level of critique is not actually critique, it's actually an insult, it's actually a put down and you're not going to win anyone to Christ by, by doing it that way or by phrasing it that way. And he's saying before, before you knew Christ, before we knew Christ, we were rude about how we went about criticizing some or speaking truth to power. So he says in verse 3, just to keep it real, for we ourselves were. He's, he's making this comparison that there is a way that we used to be. In the, in, 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 in the world. There's a way that we used to behave. There's a way that we used to speak. There's a way that we used to talk. Or there's a way that we used to engage. But now that we are in Christ, that should be past language. That should be our past lifestyle. That should be, it should be in the past that we used to comport or carry ourselves in this way. But now that we are in the body of Christ, we no longer behave that way. We carry ourselves differently. But he does acknowledge that there was a time where you were not as cute as you are as a child of God. Some of you want us to believe that your cuteness and your piety and your righteousness was always with you. Amen, lights. That, 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 that you always had it together and then God just added you into his kingdom because you had it all together. I know we don't like to go there, but everybody was a mess 
before Jesus took over our lives and we are still a mess, but the blood of Christ covers us. I I know you don't like it. You want everybody to think you got it all together and you're all of that, but we are only who we are because of the blood, grace, mercy, and, and, and love of Jesus Christ. It's the redemption that allows us to even act as if we are in our right frame of mind. It's the redemption of Christ that has has calibrated us. It is the redemption of Christ that has reset us. It is the redemption of Christ that has aligned us and positioned us into a place where God views us as acceptable. So he says in verse 3, For we ourselves, and hopefully this is past language. If this is not past language, you need to repent and be baptized today. Because it's not cute to have all of this as current language or or our, our current state. This should be past language. But the only way it becomes a past condition is if we have been engulfed by and overcome by the Spirit of God having given our life to Jesus. Verse 3, for we, we are ourselves, the redemption is in this text. The redemption is in these few passages. For, for we ourselves were once foolish. We don't have time to define all these terms, but he says to Titus, look, he's saying, be aware of the kind of people you will be preaching to. And, 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 and you too, Titus, are not outside of that category. But be aware that you will be preaching to, you will be pastoring, you will be shepherding, you will be working with some messed up folk. Because one day they are saved, but the day before that they were not saved. Yeah. We ourselves were once foolish, not just foolish, but disobedient, not just disobedient, (laughs) but led astray, not just disobedient and led astray, but, but, but slaves to various passions, handcuffed to our addictions. Bound and, 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 and bonded to and wedded to and cemented to those sinful things that called us. That's why this needs to be past language. Because it, it, it's, it's an insult for the child of God to be a slave to various passions today. Oh, there may be various things that still call us. But we should not still be enslaved by Those very same things and neither should we be acting out the behavior as if we are still enslaved by those very same passions. But not only are we led astray, he says, not only were they led astray, not only were they slaves to various passions and pleasures, doing what? Passing our days. How? Spending our time in malice. When it's about malice, we just looking for trouble. You're just looking for something in some way to be oppositional. 
that, that, that you don't agree with anything, anything that somebody brings up because you are so filled with malice. You are just always looking for a fight. You are just always looking for an argument, just always on the side of discontent and never on the side of peace. You just always need something going wrong because in the space of things being wrong and in the space of things being chaotic, you find some kind of peace in that. That's someone who's filled with with malice. But not just malice. Envy. He says, hated by others and hating one another. All of this going on. Verse 4 is where the redemption of Jesus comes in. And will take us back to Genesis 3. It says, But when the goodness, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, notice that language, because some people struggle with Jesus being God. But notice the language, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. God is the Savior. God is the Savior. He he is the Savior by way of the Son. But it says again in verse 4, but when? And I really like the language of the King James Version so much better. Because it gives us all of these these elements that we find in verse 3. All of this wrongdoing that we were caught up with in verse number 3. All of this wrongdoing that plagued our lives before we knew Christ. All of these crazy things that engulfed our lives before we knew Jesus Christ. But the King James Version then says, now after that. ah, After all your madness. After all my wild living, after all of my my discontent, after all of my envy, after all of my madness, you mean after all of my crazy and without me repenting, the Savior appeared? It doesn't work like that with us. You get crazy, you're going to see crazy. You get sideways, you will see sideways. But this shows us that the more and more we got sideways, the deeper and deeper the love of God became for us. And so while we were in the midst of doing our evil, while we were in the midst of sinning, while we were in the midst of chopping someone down, the love of God appeared. Oh, that's next. Ah, Y'all looking strange. That's next level stuff. That's Jesus stuff. And it's supposed to be Christian stuff. That while you were in the midst of your sin, God applied love to me. God applied mercy to me. God applied grace to me. God applied long suffering to me. Not after I got myself together. But while I was a bloody mess, while I was a sinful man, out of my mind, God looked and applied the balm of Gilead to my life. No, we, we, we need to wait until somebody gets it together first for us to apply the love. For us to apply the balm of Gilead, we need somebody to get it together first before we offer prayer. 
We need them to get it together first before we invite them to us to the assembly of God. God, his love is so profound that when he found us in our weakest condition, when he found us in our deepest form and place, uh, our deepest place of change, what, what happened when Saul, Paul, was on the road to Damascus He's breathing out threatenings and he's on his way looking for more Christians to persecute. He's looking for more people of the way. He doesn't care if they are children. He doesn't care if they're young adults. He doesn't care if they're seasoned saints. Anybody that's after the way, the Apostle Paul was on the hunt looking to arrest them, to have harm done by them. And while he's in the midst of that plan, while he's in the midst of that plot, the love of God God snatched him. No, it didn't show up after he repented. That's how we act. We're not dealing with people until they show some change. But while we were turning the world upside down with sin, God had already cooked up his scheme of redemption to save us. But when or after that, the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. I know all the stuff you do is so great. But the text says he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. How? Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Go to Genesis 3. Now we have our on-ramp to close out Genesis 3. It's the redemption of Jesus. Started verse 18. We'll just walk our way through as expeditiously as possible. Adam is told, thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. This process of paradise now no longer represents paradise because the people in it have messed it up. Remember, God creates the Garden of Eden as a place to tabernacle and fellowship with his divine creation. God creates a perfect place so that he could be in relationship with his creation. 
No distraction. Nothing to bring forth disharmony or disunion. He creates paradise. To have a relationship of paradise with his people. They mess it up. But through renewal and the life of Jesus, God creates a spiritual and a cosmic institution called the church where he can be in fellowship with his creation. A new paradise, a new tabernacle, a new temple. A new dwelling place, a new, a new garden where God meets with his called out saints. And the only time this ecclesia of a paradise gets messed up is when you and I mess it up. The church only gets ugly. When you and I get ugly. The church only gets sour. When you and I are sour. The church is only a place where it, it can't be a place of, of confession. When you and I stop confessing. They messed up paradise in Genesis 3. And we mess up the ecclesia. Post the book of Revelation. It's your behavior. You don't like the church. It's because of your behavior. It's because of my behavior. You can't charge that to God. For God is still paradise. And he will still dwell with us right here. And he gave us instruction about how to behave in the house of God. And the house of God only goes to the left. When the people of God go to the left. But here, as Genesis 3 is coming to a close, God is giving out the consequences of Adam and to Eve. We already looked at the consequences, but he, he, he saves the last of the consequences for Adam. Because Adam was the first to get the instruction. And Adam was the first to be responsible for maintaining the order. And, and, and the kingdomness of the garden. But he hears in verse 18, thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. He starts off with the relationship with the ground that was a joyous relationship. It was an excellent relationship. It was the kind of relationship that you would expect in paradise. Why would the ground work in opposition to me and I'm in paradise? But now, thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now remember, we said Eve's consequence 
She's of flesh. So her consequences were of flesh. She would have pain and childbearing. And there would be somewhat of a schismatic relationship with her husband. That because her, des her desire would be to flesh. She's of flesh. So her consequence is of flesh. So Eve was to struggle now with flesh. Adam is of the ground. So his struggle, his consequence would be with the Adama. His consequence would be with the ground. And God is giving out the consequences here. Adam is last. And just imagine Adam replaying the situation. He already told God the reason why I ate is because of this wife that you gave to me. Had you not given me this wife, I would not have eaten. Had you not given me this wife, there would have been no one to offer me fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So in Adam's mind, he is trying to blame the blessing that God gave to him for the sin that he committed. And Eve is trying to blame the serpent for being deceived. When what she needed to do was listen to her husband or listen to the great God of heaven about how to refrain from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But, but just, just think about Adam for a minute since we're in this mode, in this mind of redemption. In Titus 3, after all of the madness, after all of the chaos, the mercy of God shows up. The compassion of God shows up. Perhaps the last thing on Adam's mind at this time is mercy. It's compassion. Perhaps at this time, Adam has reflected long enough and he's gone through the multiple stages of grief. And now he's at that place of anger. And he looks at Eve. And in the scheme of things, when he realizes that now they have changed the course of humanity. Just by one mere stroke of disobeying God. That now there's nothing but chaos in this house. 
There's nothing but malice in this house. There's nothing but strife in this house because now perhaps Adam can't get out of his mind if you simply would not have given me the fruit. Perhaps he's replaying and trying to replay every single scenario, but it comes down to the, to the very fact of if you had not offered it to me, if you had not put me in that position, why did you put me in the cross like that? Why did you offer that to me? Why, why did you present that opportunity to me when I said we are not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Verse 20. He doesn't get angry. He's no longer blaming. He's not upset. Perhaps he's taking full responsibility. That the blame game is over. And now as a righteous man and as a righteous husband, Adam knows. Brother Holmes, it's on me. It's on me. So in verse 20, Adam acts like a redeemer. Jesus caught me. When I was acting and behaving in an unredeemable way, perhaps Eve did some things in an unredeemable way. But the Bible says in verse 20 that the man or Adam called his wife's name Eve. You don't hear Eve. We got the luxury, so we've probably used Eve more times than I can count in this series. But her name does not surface. She does not get a name until after the chaos. Until after the sin. She gets compassion after the chaos. She gets mercy after being deceived. She gets grace after turning the world upside down and placing her husband in the cross. Her husband now offers her compassion. Husbands, love your wives even like Christ loved the church. Man, I'm done with her. That's the last straw. Eve turned the world upside down. Her husband turns around. Gives her a blessed name. Reveres her. Appreciates her. Loves her. And stops blaming her. The man, wait a minute now, God just told me 
my life as a provider, my life as a gardener, my life as a husbandman is going to be filled with hell and toxicity until the day that I die. Perhaps if that's you, brother, you wouldn't be able to look at her again. The man called his wife's name Eve. Why? Because she was the mother of all living. He does not look at her past. He looks at her prophetic future. Adam named everything. In chapter 2, if I'm not mistaken, he named every animal. God then gives him a wife. But she didn't get a name yet. You know how many names he could have came up with? After giving out consequences? Even if he gave her a name prior to the fall, perhaps he would have been contemplating, I think I'm changing the name. But he doesn't focus on what has transpired. He focuses on her prophetic and her theological eventuality and her future. That Wait, wait, wait. My wife is actually the mother and will be the mother of everyone. He found a way to put his anger and his frustration in check. We don't talk about this, Adam. <laughs> but Adam was showing us what it means to be a husband. But Adam was giving us a glimpse into the redemption of Jesus. That even when you mess up royally, I mean, in a way that you couldn't even script, there God is to offer redemption. You just turned your family upside down. You just turned your job upside down. You just turned your community upside down. You just turned somebody else's family upside down. And the redemption of God showed up in your mailbox. The redemption of God showed up on you. Who in the world do we think we are to be super harsh with other people? You think you all that? You think it's you? 
that you have the ability to, to, to show a lack of compassion to somebody else when they are wallowing in their own mire? Did you forget that you were snatched out of the miry clay yourself? Called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Next point. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Remember, they had took those leaves. We've preached this before, so but they had made they had taken the leaves and 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 perhaps clothed up or covered up their private areas. But that was their doing. Because God is so full of redemption. That even when we mess up and try to cover it up. Our cover up. For what we have done is always insufficient. When, when, when we have gone to the left, what God requires is confession and repentance and true authentic change. He is not asking us for us to cover up our sins. We don't have the ability to cover up sin. Only the blood of Christ can cover up sin. But we still, because there is a trajectory of the flesh... The flesh, as soon as it messes up, the flesh starts trying to cover up. As soon as the flesh has its way and the flesh is filled with shame and the flesh is filled with ridicule, the flesh then starts adding lie on top of lie to try to cover up and and avoid the shame. But here, God sees that their attempt to cover up their situation is insufficient. So he comes alongside with his redeeming love. They just took some meager leaves and covered up a couple of portions of their body. When we do the, 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 the study here, God covers them up with a coat. God covers them up huh, with a long tee. Where y'all at? So y'all missed it. Y'all didn't got too holy. I ain't trying to be theological right there. I'm trying to get on your street. God gave to them a long white t-shirt or a long white robe. He said, them little leaves that y'all got, the world that you are in now with, with both the knowledge of good and evil, that little bikini you made for Eve, that ain't going to work. Them little shorts you made for Adam, that ain't going to work. Y'all going to get covered all the way up. Because what does God do? When God's redemption shows up, ah, he ain't covering up just a piece. He ain't covering up just a portion. He fulfills us and he fully cleanses us. He puts on the whole jacket. When we are saved, it is because we have put on the Son of God in baptism. We now wear him. I don't care what kind of name brand you got on or what kind of name brand you like. You better have on Jesus. 
You better have on the clothes of Jesus. It better be Jesus covering you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. I don't care about your fashion label or all that other stuff. You better be covered with Jesus. That Gucci bag? Nah, that's just some leaves. That Louis Vuitton bag? Nah, that's just some leaves. That nice shit? No, that's just something. When you finish with God, God will cover you all the way up so you are walking and you are demonstrating and you are exemplifying what it means to be a follower of Christ. Get your scheme of trying to cover it up out. The best thing that we can do as people of God is be a people of confession. Be, be faithful enough, be bold enough to confess. I blew it. I made a mistake. I was out of my mind. Because it's not until that point that the redemption of Christ. While, while, you while, you or while I'm still in cover-up mode, the redemption ain't there yet. But it's when I can. I'm talking about a child of God. When I can understand what it means to be a people or a person of confession. And, and, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. I know the preaching that goes there. <laughs> and God killed an animal to get the blood. Because that was symbolic, symbolic of the blood of Jesus. But that God killed an animal. God sacrificed an animal to get the skins to cover Adam and Eve. I got that. I know that's supposed to be there. But we assume in that. Text doesn't say. It's some good preaching down. I'm just letting you know I, I haven't missed that. But there's enough redemption in the text to not even have to make that story up. God didn't have to sacrifice an animal to clothe Adam and Eve. He didn't have to touch an animal. The creator now has to kill an animal to, to create a coat. <laughs> Not my God. He could do that. He may have done that. He didn't have to do that. He just created Adam. And then created Eve from Adam. And didn't have to kill an animal. Verse 22. Next point. Then the Lord God said, behold. The man has become. Like one of us. In knowing good. And evil. So much happening here. But I said this would be the last one. A, a lot of this story, unbeknownst perhaps, centers on not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Help me out. But the tree of life. That's what the real story is about. So the tree of knowledge or the tree of life gets introduced in Genesis 3. 
And then the Bible closes in Revelation 22 with the tree of life. So, so, so we can't miss or dismiss the redemption that comes through the tree of life and the representation of the tree of life. Then the Lord, God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. It's an interesting word here. Now, lest he reach out, the, the word is shalach, and it comes up in the next verse also. But the text says, unless he shalak or unless he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat. But this word shalak, this word reach out, and I'll show you its other variation. This is a different kind of reach. This is that, I'm going to lose some, I'm going to use, lose 75% of the audience right here. This is that bipping kind of reach. Uh, I know, I know. Y'all, y'all fill them in after. I know. Watch Channel 2 News or something. Even Channel 2 News got it. Uh, this is, this is that jacking. It, 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 this is an aggressive kind of reach. This, that, give me that. Kind, this is a different, this ain't the same kind of reach that they would engage in prior to the fall when they just plucking a few grapes in paradise, plucking a few strawberries in paradise, plucking a few pomegranates in paradise. No, give me that. Things have changed now. There's a, there's a different mindset now, and, and, and there's the tree of life now. Now, here, here's the thing. I understand the text, but perhaps uh, uh, just investigating a little bit more, maybe this is true, maybe it's not, but just, just understand this, that there is a possibility that they had already partaken of the tree of life. That, that, that the tree of, that, don't, don't fall out your seat, that, that, that the tree of life was, was part of this entity that was designed for them to maintain or continue their immortality. That, that this is, this is something that's in the midst of the garden and they keep going back to this tree. That this tree is what gives them their life and they are to continue to maintain a relationship with this tree. But now there's a different understanding and God is saying, but they have a different mindset towards this tree now. Because now their mindset towards this tree, they also now have the knowledge of both good and evil. So they see this tree through their arrogant minds. They see this tree through their conceited minds. They see this tree through their survivalist minds. And that's not what it was created for. This wasn't created for you to survive. This is created for us to have a relationship. And for that relationship 
to never end. But, but, but just, just entertaining that, that perhaps the goal was to always be able to consume of this tree. Because just think about it. Well, they had no prohibition against that tree. So why would it have been that they had never... You mean they went for the knowledge of good and evil, what was off limits, but they never touched? Huh. Oh, I could go a whole bunch of places with that because sometimes sin becomes more entertaining than righteousness. That you don't understand the thrill of righteousness, but you understand the thrill of sin and its escapades. So the, so the tree of life, oh, that's boring. <laughs> but that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, since it's forbidden, I can't take my eye off of it. I'm not saying that that's where they were, but I'm, I'm using that to say, why would they have not eaten of that tree? When that tree was designed for, there, there was no border or boundary or protective measure that kept them from the tree of life. That's in the garden for them. On that. So behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he now he's snatching. Now he's snatching. Reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Do your Hebrew study. You might find some stuff in there. And live forever. Verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him. There's that word again. Shalak. Therefore, the Lord God. You want to bip in the garden? You're going to get bipped out the garden. No, that's the language. You want to snatch in the garden? I'm about to throw you out the garden. The, the, the language says they were expelled out. They were forced out. They, they, were, they were driven out. They were sent out. This is not cute language. This, this is a story where now, because things have changed, they don't want to leave. They want to keep bipping off the tree of life. And God says, this ain't going to work. You have violated paradise. Now I got to expel you. Now I have to banish you. Some of your Bible text says, that now I have to banish you. From the Garden of Eden. Because your behavior has changed. In the Garden. This could be a commercial break. I know I only got about 10 minutes left, but the little commercial break here. This is this is why the concept of the withdrawal of fellowship is a serious thing in the kingdom of God, even though we don't treat it seriously, because God is saying all you bipping in the body of Christ need to be kicked out the body of Christ until you get your mind right. That's not a literal removing of the body of Christ, but it is a literal removal of the fellowship of these saints. But we so cute. You ain't going to expel anybody. You're not going to banish anybody even though they are contaminating the paradise within the ecclesia. What did he tell them about the man sleeping with his father's wife in 1 Corinthians 5? You better expel him. 
He don't want to change. You better. If we, if we would have kept reading Titus 3, if I'm not mistaken, this is, look, go to him one time. Go to him again. Oh, oh, they don't want to hear you? It says, don't fellowship them. This is what Paul told his protege, Titus. Look, man, if these people want to keep bipping in the kingdom, if they want to keep grabbing in the kingdom, if they want to keep snatching in the kingdom and nobody's snatching at them, but they snatching at everything else, you're going to have to banish them from fellowship. We don't like that. We, we cute and pious Christians and don't even understand the concept of withdrawal of fellowship, which really means there, there's some contamination in your love. For kingdom citizens. Because if we had the right kind of love, we would understand the concept and the process of withdrawal of fellowship. Withdrawal of fellowship isn't mean and nasty. It's a deep intervention of love. Your parents never withdrew from you? Your mama never withdrew? Oh, that's the problem. That's the problem. You, you, you don't know what it feels like. And you don't know the benefit on the other side. Because when mama withdrew her fellowship, that didn't mean she withdrew her love. But there were some things you didn't have access to because mama said you lost your mind. And until you get your mind back, there's a piece of me that you can't have. And when you realize how much of that piece in mama you really miss and you really need it, you came back with your head on straight. Because mom went to that deep place of love. That you ain't going to keep coming. That's abuse. You're not going to keep abusing me and think I'm just going to keep my arms open that way. No, you got to get your head screwed on right. Stop abusing me. And when you get that straight, we will be back in fellowship. Even as a, as a, as a young adult, I had, a, I had keys to my mother and father's house. But when they saw that I had lost my mind, Bishop heard they took my keys. Took my, for me, that was symbolic. Who? Mom said, Amar, give me your keys. <laughs> give me your keys. I didn't live there. But you know, there, there was some kind of familial connection just knowing I still had keys to the house. They didn't have biblos, they didn't have keys to my house. But I still had keys to their house. Mom took my keys. But when she saw that my life was right in Jesus, Deacon Miles, she gave me my keys back. They was on the same keychain. She said, no, 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 no. While you in this place, oh, I, got, I got to take something back. I would be doing you a disservice to allow you continual access to this while you are out of your mind. And I'm doing this because I love you. Not because I don't love you. If I didn't love you, keep the keys. And you never get the lesson. So sometimes we don't understand withdrawal fellowship because it's never even happened to us on a familial level. So daddy never withheld something. Mama never withheld anything, so we don't know the reward that comes with that process. Therefore, the Lord God drove them out, expelled them, banished them from the Garden of Eden 
to work the ground from which he was taken. Verse 24, he drove out. He expelled Shalak. He expelled, he banished, he drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherub and a flaming sword <laughs> that turned every way to do what? To guard the way to the tree of life. God wrestled with Adam. I'm sorry, man. You got to go. And you primarily have to go because I can't allow you to get to the tree of life or I cannot allow you to have continual access to the tree of life. But God knew that if he could, he would try to get back to the tree of life. That the compulsion of Adam after being kicked out of paradise. It might be hard to understand that dynamic of what it means and what it feels like to have been right there. I had it all and got kicked out, but maybe I can come climb through a side door. Maybe somebody left the back door open. That's John 10. Jesus said, I'm the door. Understand in the text, God has now shut the door. The Garden of Eden is closed. Paradise is closed. The tree of life is off limits and cannot be reached, accessed, or occupied. The door is closed. But as soon as the door to the tree of life closed, the door to Jesus the Redeemer opened. And from that point forward, a messianic Jesus is on the move. And our goal is to get to the real tree of life. Jesus said, I am the door. I'm the door. He said, there's some other doors. There's some other ways you can try to climb up and gain access. That ain't me. He says, I am the door. John 14, he says, I am the way. Truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by or through me. Adam had a compulsion to try to get back into Eden. And the only thing that stopped him What's them? I, I can't get through them cherubims. I'll be sliced into multiple pieces and burnt up at the same time. 
But his desire was to get back to Eden. Today, the Eden is the kingdom of God. And Jesus is the door. Jesus is the tree of life. Do you want him? He's not off limits. He's for you. He's for us. But do you have the same compulsion to get to Jesus as the tree of life as you did to get to that untouchable thing known as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Do you feel the same energy toward that escapade that you had as you tried to track down the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Do you feel the same way about your zealous journey of trying to get to the tree of life, which is Jesus? Why is it that when it comes to Jesus, that is now a boring pursuit, but that other thing that you know God said is off limits, why is there so much time and attention pursued in that area? Why are you trying to find a scripture that makes that on limits why are you trying to script find a scripture that makes it okay to do those things that you know you should not be doing but while jesus is standing there with open arms saying that i am the way i am the door i am the truth i am the life no one gets to my daddy unless they come through me where is the excitement to get to the tree of life where is the excitement to get to king jesus we know you was going after the blunt we know you were going after her we know you were going after the party we know you you were going after the fast money and that level of excitement had you so exhilarated but now Jesus is standing there and he's calling your name he ain't calling somebody else's name he's calling your name he's saying I am the tree of life I am the redeemer I am the messiah I came to save you from yourself now what's hindering you from embracing me what are you waiting on is it not exciting enough because you already got the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we eat of it every single day. You went to the movies and you ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You turned on your TV and you ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You turned on the radio and you ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We are bombarded. We are surrounded by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We are surrounded by, but when it comes to the purity of the tree of life, you got to go get that because society doesn't make that one easy. When you turn on the radio, that's not what you hear. That's not what you see. When you go to the movies, it's rare that you will get the tree of life. But it's sure enough possible that you will get a little bit of the tree of the knowledge of good, but you're definitely going to get some of the evil. Stand to your feet. It's decision time. There's perhaps somebody here that needs to put Christ on. In baptism. He already banished him. He already banished us from the garden. But he banished us from the garden so that we could be added to his other garden. He kicked us out of one so that we could be placed in another. But it's up to you to make your calling and election sure. You've heard the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the one that died for our sins. He is the redeemer. He is the one. We, the, there is a trajectory of our flesh. And then there is the one that's the redeemer. He wants to redeem us.
from all of our sinful ways. How, how, how does it happen? We hear the word. We believe in Jesus as the Messiah. We believe in Jesus as the Redeemer. The one that can save us. We repent. We, we acknowledge in our minds, I'm not living that way. And I'm so excited to be uh, uh, in relationship with the Redeemer. So much so that I'm willing to confess publicly that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I believe he is the Son of God. And guess what? For the sake and for the work of the Holy Spirit, and again, as a pronouncement of who I am and that I'm real in this and that I'm confessional in this, I'm willing to go down in the watery grave of baptism for the remission of my sins, coming up a new creation in Christ and having indwelled within me the gift of the Holy Spirit. Guess what? That's when life, who that's when life begins. I thought I had life when mama took my keys. But life didn't really begin, Brother Rodney, until mama gave me my keys back. Because at that point, I was free. At that point, I was walking in liberation. At that point, I was living outside of rules and regulations. I'm living for Jesus. I didn't need a schoolmaster. I didn't need a pedagogue. I didn't need an elementary age uh, school teacher because now I'm living off the royal law of Jesus. I'm walking after the Holy Spirit of Jesus and I'm living under the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus. He said, against such there is no law. If somebody here, you, today might be your day of liberation. If that's you, you should be walking down front right now. Don't worry about somebody else. If you need to ask someone to help walk you down, go ahead and do that. But don't worry about right now who else is moving. You just make sure you make your calling and election sure. When we get to our next series, we will talk about the fact that salvation is not just for you as an individual. It's a collective shalom. It's a collective liberation. But if you don't get yours, then you're not part of the liberation story. And how liberating is it to be free but surrounded by prisoners? How liberating is it to be free but surrounded by those who are shackled? And we do that in the kingdom as well. As we sing the song of encouragement.